Podstarter. Every podcast starts somewhere. Hey, Reese, you uh, just had a conversation with Sebastian Major um, from our Fake History podcast. Um, why did you want to talk to him? Well, Sebastian's a really uh, interesting guy. He He's essentially uh, someone who is incredibly passionate about history. He's a, he's a high school teacher, loved podcasts, and had seen um, a few different people develop really vibrant, polished history podcasts, starting from the position of just being enthusiastic, but not really having much more of a background than that necessarily. He wanted to build a, a show that... Uh, that would allow him to develop and him to kind of really talk about his his passion and to dig deep. But you've talked about two things in this conversation. One is is the hectic workload, um, uh, how he prepares and how he scripts. And for our audience, we've we've talked a little bit about this, which is should I have a scripted environment or is it, is it an unscripted environment? And what is that going to or how is that going to impact your workload? And somehow Sebastian he releases once every two weeks has a thorough script that is prepared with a lot of research and then is is presented in a real honest professional structure how does he keep up with all of that i just just sheer grit i think it's there's no there's no workarounds there's no shortcut this is real time being spent researching recording writing re-recording you know I, I think that he's got a really good partnership with his wife who helps him, you know, make sure the episodes are good and, and follows the content with him. And if you ever listen to one of his shows, it's a really accessible, fun way to learn about history. Um, and I know that lots of people, he imagined that the kind of people who would listen would be people studying history in university or um, history grads or just people who were, who that was the topic they were into, but people now listen with their children. Um, it's reached a much wider audience uh, through that kind of energy that he puts into it. I, th- I, th- I think there's, there's two strong themes that come out of your conversation with him. One is, is you, you have to have that passion because the passion equals energy and the ability to keep up. The second, especially with Sebastian, is he's a subject matter expert. He knows his stuff. Um, and whether he does it through the research, whether he already knows it beforehand, however he puts it together, you can tell in Sebastian's delivery of his content that he, he, he strives to know it better than anybody else. Yeah, and that's it, is, is, a, is a marriage of expertise and passion. And that is a recipe for success. It, how can it not be? Because uh, he's the proof of it. Um, but that also the third element of uh, an incredible work ethic means that his show is 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 just destined for where it is right now. So let's have a listen to uh, Reese Waters having a conversation with Sebastian Major from our Fake History podcast. Podstarter. Every podcast starts somewhere. I'm here with uh, Sebastian Major from Arfic History, and it's a really well-researched, in-depth show about, well, Sebastian, could, could you explain a little bit about what your show is? Sure. Our Fake History is a show about history that has been complicated by storytelling. So there are, are all these myths and legends that we often think of as legitimate historical facts. Uh, the one that always comes to mind is the old story that Napoleon shot the nose off the Sphinx. A lot of people just believe that, but it's completely untrue. And it turns out there's a ton of stories like that uh, throughout history uh, that need to be re-examined. So that's what I do on my show. I look at legends that we think are history and 
history that might be hidden in legends. So I'll also look at things like the Trojan War or the story of King Arthur or uh, something that we generally think as think of as purely legendary, and I'll examine if there's any historical truth to it. So it's part storytelling and then part historical detective work is what I do. Now, the, the thing that I really like about the show is that unlike this format where it's kind of conversational, two people in a room or over a link talking, yours is incredibly well scripted uh, to the point where you, you talk at length um, and in immense detail. So I, I suspect that you do a lot of research before your episode and a lot of scripting. Um, yeah, it sounds very natural, but there's just so much information that you're delivering and it's so structured and you kind of break things down in a, in a very uh, nice flow as well within the duration. Well, thanks. I appreciate, I appreciate all that. I, uh, I'm always worried that it's not flowing well, or I'm worried that I'm going too fast. Anyone that, you know, works in the audio medium, you end up obsessing over things like, the sound of your voice, or are you being clear enough, or did I just stumble over a word, or why can I not say this person's name right, or whatever it is, uh, and I'm I'm no better. I definitely worry about that stuff, so um, I, I appreciate your compliments, um, but to, to answer your question, yes, I do do a lot of scripting. Uh, every one of my shows uh, uh, is the result of a long research process, and then a 15-page roughly script, and that's like a double-spaced 11-point font. I, I write them the way I wrote my uh, history papers in, in university, right, in my undergrad. The way I think of the show is it's like the undergrad papers I always wished that I could write, you know, ones that are a little more jokey and stuffed with pop culture references and uh, a little more loose and fun, but, you know, still examining kind of an academic topic. Uh, when I record, I don't do it in just one beautiful take. Uh, to do a one-hour episode, it's usually about three hours of recording with a lot of stops and starts and retakes. Uh, you know, it's very easy to get tongue-tied and caught up on things. And so um, I find that I really need my scripts Back actually when I started the show, um, I'd been a big fan of of Dan Carlin and, and hardcore history. And I think anyone that does a, a history podcast kind of lives in the shadow of Dan Carlin. He's sort of the big boy in the genre. And one thing I think everyone's always amazed with when it comes to Dan Carlin is how he's able to just riff, right? It really just sounds like he is just, you know, free associating and talking on mic and it's it's impressive. And so I tried to do that. I did like a, uh, a mock-up of one episode where I was like, I'm just going to, you know, have some notes in front of me and then I'm just going to riff. And it sucked. It was terrible. <laughs> it was almost unlistenable. So, uh, so since then I've, I've really stuck to my scripts and, uh, I find that when I go off script, it's only for, you know, a couple of sentences where I, I something that comes to mind as I'm recording but otherwise, I'm uh, I'm I'm just trying to perform a script as interestingly as I possibly can. But in a sense, you kind of need that forensic attention to detail because you're kind of you're dissecting 
a mixture of historical kind of fact and fiction and looking at multiple sources and you're kind of building a case to disprove or prove certain points so yeah i can i can if you're gonna freewheel and just kind of shoot from the hip with that kind of stuff the level of um of attention that you give it in order to to make those arguments you kind of need that strategy i guess yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent and especially when you uh, set yourself up as a myth buster or a truth teller, which is uh, kind of, you know, the, the gimmick of my show. If I get sloppy or I mess something up, you know, it doesn't reflect very well on what I'm trying to accomplish. It, it, it makes me look bad. Uh, and I'm, I'm always, you know, deeply mortified anytime I do make a, any sort of small slip-ups on the show but yeah if i didn't have the script you know i'd be messing up dates i'd be messing up names i'd be forgetting details and uh and you know when i'm when i'm essentially arguing for a closer and more thoughtful read of our past uh one cannot do such things so yeah (laughs) yeah I, i try to avoid that how do you find time? Is this your full-time job now? Or have you always just found time in your spare time to put this level of detail in into this? Has it become more than a hobby? Or is it still just that, that side passion project? Well, I still have my day job. So uh, I'm a high school teacher when I'm not creating the podcast. But if it had not become more of a job, the, the podcast that is, I probably would have stopped doing it by now. Uh uh, but I was so lucky that early on, um, people started listening to the show and an audience started forming relatively early in my uh, in my run. And so by, you know, the second year into it, it was starting to look like, hey, I could maybe start monetizing. I could maybe start uh, creating a Patreon campaign. Uh, I was getting good enough download numbers where uh, advertisers were starting to get interested. Um, so it didn't seem like a time to stop. It's like, oh man, there's momentum. People seem to like this. There's a community out there that's uh, engaging with this. I, I better not stop doing it now. And I'm glad I stuck with it because it's become a second job. Uh, so now the podcast does help my livelihood. It, it's, I, I, can't, I can't quit my teaching job and just focus on podcasting. But the money that is brought in through Patreon and through advertising for the show uh, has made my life better. But it's been a ton of work. It literally is a second job. It's, it's something that I come home after I'm done school and when I'm not, you know, hanging out with my five-month-old son or, you know, hanging out with my wife, I'm working on the podcast. You know, I'm, I'm researching, I'm writing I'm recording, I'm editing. I think about like, you know, about five or six months into doing it, my wife kind of turned to me and she was like, I didn't know that this was going to be such a thing. Like, is this really going to go on forever? And, you know, I, I had, we had to have like a real conversation about like, you know, what role this was going to play in our lives. And if it was worth it, it required so much of my time we decided I would sort of hang with it for at least, you know, basically one more year and see what came of it. And now it's the, the rhythm of producing the show has just sort of become part of our lives. And the fact that the show has found success, it's found an audience. There's all these people that, you know, 
really care about the show and really want it to keep going, uh, that motivates me. And, and it also doesn't hurt that now it's it's also supplemented my income. So, you know, that's just me being real about it. Like if it wasn't if it wasn't making at least some money, I may have stopped by now. But thankfully, it's uh, it's it's turned out to be totally worthwhile. <laughs> um, well, how would you manage to do all of this with a five month old? It was really hard when my wife was pregnant to sort of try and predict the future of, of what it would mean for the podcast. And there was a part of me that thought, you know, a few months back before my my son was born, I, I was I was genuinely worried that having a baby would mean that the podcast would be done. Uh, and, you know, I was willing to make that sacrifice because obviously the most important thing to me is my family. And, you know, I want to be a good dad uh, first and foremost. So, you know, I, I kind of knew that if, if I, I tried to keep doing it and the balance wasn't working, obviously I would prioritize being a father and being a good dad. But thankfully, our son has been amazing. And I know this is like total parent bragging, but, <laughs> you know, he he's a good sleeper. He's a good eater. He has been incredibly healthy. So he's not, you know, he's not a, a, a big screamer, thankfully. Uh, knock on wood, you know, I, I hope I haven't just jinxed it. And, you know, next week he he enters a new development phase and all of a sudden he's the loudest crankiest baby in the world uh, but uh but i i took a small break from the rhythm of my shows when my son was born and it's been manageable you know obviously having a baby brings a lot more work into your life somehow the balance continues it hasn't it hasn't upset the apple cart so the plan is to keep going um i've got three kids and wow. you ne- you always kind of wonder when it when the first one comes or the second one comes how are we going to manage our lives are so busy but you just adjust and you you find a way to make to make it make that balance right yeah um, how did your audience react when you kind of slowed down for a bit did they did they react um supportively oh yeah people were lovely people were so nice and like you know i i try to keep my personal life out of the show somewhat but, you know, anytime you even drop like a little hint, like I was I was honest with my listenership that like, hey, I'm going to be having a baby. And, you know, so there might be just a little bit of interruption in your the regular flow of shows. And, you know, the the outpouring of of support and warmth from people that listen to the show is was so lovely and so humbling. And people want to tell me about their kids. And a lot of people will actually listen to the show uh, with their kids, like a, a lot of, I mean, you know, I never thought the show was going to be for kids. I kind of created it for, you know, people who were almost, you know, at the level of taking like a first year history course in university. But some people listen to it with like their nine and 10 year olds, and they absolutely love it. It always it, it always warms my heart that people listen to it with their families and with their kids. And uh, I really love that. And I hope that keeps happening. Are you known in your school as the kind of cool teacher with a podcast then? <laughs> uh, some kids know about the podcast. I feel like teenagers aren't really a big podcast audience. Some of them know about podcasts, uh, but they're not listening to a lot of podcasts. Some are, but most aren't. Every now and then a kid will like Google me and like discover that there's articles written about me online and they'll be like, wait, are you famous? 
And I'll be like, mm, uh, no, no, <laughs> but I, I have a presence online. I do exist out there. But actually, the, the funniest thing that ever happened to me in a class, a couple of years ago, I, uh, I got a job at a new school and I just, I just started there. And I'd been teaching uh, a course for a few months. It was a grade 10 English course. A historical myth came up in the class. And I, I, I was sort of talking about it. I'm like, well, but the, also there's you know all sorts of historians that believe that this never really happened. And this is the kind of thing I'm super interested in. And I, uh, I actually have a podcast where I talk about this stuff. And I kind of said it offhand. And then one of my students goes, wait, hold on. You're not you're not our fake history, are you? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> actually I am. And he goes, oh, I, I think I give you $3 a month. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, I thought that was pretty amazing. I was, uh, I, I was like, you can stop doing that. This might be a conflict of interest if one of my students is giving me micropayments. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, I, 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 it's a good way to get an A grade. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Three bucks a month. He bought me pretty cheap, though. You know. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of more of a, a sentiment than a than a real investment. <laughs> <laughs> how how did you first get into podcasting? Then what what was your initial inspiration? Well, um, I was a fan before I was anything else. Like a lot of amateur podcasters, uh, I was someone that just listened to a lot of podcasts. I really loved hardcore history. And then I got into a history podcast called The History of Rome by a guy named Mike Duncan. And in the world of history podcasts, he's probably one of the better known history podcasters, uh, just because he was early to the form. What I loved about The History of Rome is that you kind of heard him get better as he went. So Dan Carlin you know, he came to the world of podcasting from the world of radio. He was someone with experience on mic. He'd been a journalist. He'd been on television before. But Mike Duncan was just a guy, a guy with a, a history degree who was working as a fishmonger at the time, who looked out on the internet and was like, oh, as if there's not a podcast about the history of Rome, I guess I'll make it. And so he started making the show. And he gets good. And then you can hear the sound quality improve at a certain point in the show. And then all of a sudden, ads start appearing on the show. And all of a sudden, he has sort of taken on a bit more of a, a persona or at least more confidence in his delivery. And I'm like, oh, this guy really did it. This guy really started as a total amateur and went for it and created something that ended up being really great and found an audience. And now that guy just podcasts for a living. He's got another show called Revolutions. He's turned his podcasting career into a career as an author. And I was really inspired by that. I was like, wow, you know, I'm not all that different from him. I'm someone with a master's in history who loves storytelling. I think I could do it. Uh, and then I got the concept for the show, the idea of historical myths. So I invested in a podcast microphone and I sat down and started creating them. And I, I put about eight of them in the, in the bank, like my first eight episodes I recorded ahead of time. And then I went for it and I put it out into the world. 
amazingly, it found an audience. You're a musician as well, aren't you? And your music features on the show. So when it came to buying microphones and recording audio, was it a familiar, kind of um, comfortable space for you to be entering? Yeah, yeah. And I, I knew that you could blow your brains out buying fancy microphones. So I, I didn't go too crazy. Like I, I use the blue Yeti, which is kind of, you know, the industry standard of podcasting microphones, right? I found that the, the Yeti did such a good job that it was like, Oh, I don't, I don't need all that. And how about the post-production? I know like the editing is the, the area that trips a lot of people up. Were you familiar with audio editing before? Just a little bit. And like, I use audacity, right? Like the free audio editing software. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great platform. Honestly, it's it's amazing that it exists for free. <laughs> like it, it, there's really so there's so few technical stumbling blocks to starting a podcast. I honestly if, if you have a good mic and a laptop, like that's that there there's your down payment and then all you got to do is pay for hosting and you know, boom, you got a podcast. <laughs> Uh, I kind of edit as I record that sort of part of my process. Then afterwards I do a final listen through. And usually my wife does that with me and she's sort of my other set of ears on the show in that that's sort of the quality control listen where I kind of look, listen to volume levels and, you know, also just the clarity of my communication, hoping the story comes through but, you know, you're never going to please everyone. One of the biggest complaints I would get about my show forever was that the music was too loud. People didn't like the volume of the music at the beginning or they didn't like the volume of my transition music. So over time, I have made that music quieter, but it doesn't seem to matter how quiet I make that music. There's always someone that's like, the music's too loud. <laughs> You know, I think when I first started doing it, and that's why I was glad I, I took the time to experiment um, with editing and creating a few episodes before I started releasing them, releasing them to the world. I, you know, I, I made a bunch before I started legitimately podcasting, like legitimately putting them out on a feed. And it's completely, you know, ordinary in the world of podcasting to get better as you go. I think feel like the first requirement for whether somebody should record a podcast is, do you really care? And do you have that passion for what you're talking about and, and everything else you can kind of work on if you don't have that spark or um, kind of real drive to, to, to kind of build around that idea or that uh, passion for a specific topic, then, you know, everything else can, can develop. Yeah, no, totally. I, I, in a lot of ways, I think it's like music, you know, like when you, when you hear a band that's just developing, you know, you, you hear a band's like first sort of garage recordings, if they have good songs, then you don't really care about the crappy production quality, you know? And like, it doesn't matter if down the road, they have like all sorts of glitzy production, but the songs suck, then you don't care about that band anymore. So I think podcasts are the same way. You know, it's it's all about the content. It's all about what you're doing. I, you're totally right. Are you passionate about it? Um, is it fun to listen to? Did people learn something? Did they laugh? Did they did they come away from something? Did they find themselves wanting to hear more? That's what matters. 
I can imagine the research and everything that you did and the level of attention to detail you put to each episode is uh, uh, could become a burden, but did you have a, a sensible release schedule to back that up? Was that an easy thing for you? Uh, so when I first started, I decided I was going to put out a podcast every two weeks, which I thought was reasonable to get people into the show. Uh I, I thought that you didn't want to keep people waiting too long. If you kept them kind of consistent and consistently coming, I, I thought that would help build an audience. I think it did. I really believe that, you know, a big part of us having a successful podcast is being consistent and keeping the shows coming. If you are saying you're going to put out a show every month, then you really got to make sure it's there every month or else people will abandon you. So at first I'd had all these shows in the can. And so I was like, oh, I've got like a month's, you know, lead on my show. I'll be fine. Uh, and then very quickly I found that I caught up to my content and I really needed to start creating on a, on a two week treadmill. And uh, yeah, at first that was extremely challenging. And uh, I guess three years ago now I, I got a new job and uh, that year very nearly sunk the podcast. And that was well before my son was, you know, even a, a twinkle in my eye, having a new job that that was very demanding. Um, and keeping that two week production schedule going was uh, was going to be impossible. But I stuck with it. But was it a challenge? Yes. And I think to anyone out there listening, that's thinking about starting a podcast, I think it's important to be realistic about what you can achieve, how much time you have for it. And if it's once a month, then great. Then my advice would be once you commit to once a month, make sure it's out once a month, make sure it's there for people. If you commit to once a week, then make sure it's there every week, the same day, because that matters to people. And teaching is not a the kind of career where you have a lot of free time or downtime in between anything during your work day to focus. And then also the, my, my wife's a teacher. So, uh, you know, the amount of marking and all the other stuff she used to have to do out, outside of the hours were, were crazy. So um, it must have taken a lot of commitment to, to, to maintain that kind of energy. Yeah. There have been lots of moments uh, in the course of the life of this podcast where I thought it was going to end. You know, it, it 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 isn't my job. It isn't my my main job. But always when I thought that, then a new opportunity would come along for the show. Or, you know, I would get sort of a new bump in my listener numbers. And it just sort of, anytime I thought about stopping, there was always something that was sort of bringing me back to it and being like, no, no, you're onto something here. And you, you touched on um, who you imagined your audience was a bit earlier on. Did you, did you kind of really have a a definitive idea about who you were going to be talking to when you, when you sat down at the microphone? I figured that the people who would find me would be people that were already listening to a lot of history podcasts uh, I figured the only way that someone would come across a like brand new B-level history podcast would be if they were deep into that genre and were constantly hunting for new shows in that genre. But 
as I've gone on, I've found that they are actually a very small fraction of my people. It's a lot of my audience are people that don't listen to other history podcasts at all. And so that's been really cool. And I, I found that it's, you know, people from all over the world uh, and all ages. And I'm, I, I love that it's, you know, it's, it's equal numbers of men and women. It's people of all different backgrounds. It's really one of the most fulfilling things about the show is when I get all this feedback from the people out there listening I, I'm just, I'm kind of honored that they let me into their life. And, you know, if, if they have anything in common, it's that they're curious. You line, you line up, you know, 10 R fake history listeners, you know, back to back and, and every single one of them will look different. I think there are some podcasts out there that look for a very specific demographic. They target a very specific demographic and that's who's listening. And I didn't want to do that at the start. I just assumed that it would be the, you know, history podcast community that would be listening. And I have been delighted that it's been all sorts of people. How has the show kind of changed uh, over time? Did you did you kind of develop or shape it in a particular way um, as as you kind of got better and as, as, as the show got tighter in, in the process? It's gotten longer <laughs> is actually the, the, uh, the biggest change. When I started, my very first show was uh, 27 minutes long. And the last show that I put out this season, the end of season four, was like an hour and 15 minutes long. <laughs> You'd think that I'd be getting tighter, but actually I'm getting more long-winded. Or I, I'm just maybe indulging myself a little bit more when I, with a little bit more confidence, I think comes um, a little bit more um, willingness to sort of uh, indulge in side stories, throw in more of my own thoughts and analysis. And I know a lot of history shows in particular have this issue. They call it mission creep. Uh, like, and Dan Carlin's the ultimate example where he started, you know, doing half an hour shows and now he does six hour epics for a long time for me. I never wanted it to be over an hour. And another sort of restriction that I place on myself is uh, I never want a series. So if I'm exploring a topic that will go through multiple parts, I never want that series to be more than a trilogy. And it's a completely arbitrary thing. Three is the magic number. It's kind of, <laughs> there's something quite satisfying about it. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> what, for you is is your biggest achievement with the show i mean aside it could be metrics it could be something personal is there like a moment that made you kind of really go wow that's a great question um being recognized by other podcasters you know getting to know people like uh daniele bolelli who does a podcast called uh, uh history on fire uh you know to have him reach out to me uh, and and tell me that he likes the show and, you know, to get to know him online, that's been a real pleasure. And the fact that, you know, on his other show, The Drunken Taoist, he sometimes will drop in stories that he's learned about from my podcast. And uh, he's someone that I really respect as a podcaster and as a thinker. And, um, you know, that really meant a lot that he liked the show and that he listens to it with his daughter, um, that was really cool to me, but, you know, also, you know, when people like you reach out to me or other podcasters want me to come on and talk to them, uh, and be on their show, that to me is sort of the 
ultimate sign that I'm, I'm doing something right. Uh, when your peers start, you know, recognizing that the show is, is good or that they like it. And also, you know, the, the, all the kind things that listeners send to me, you know, when, when people tell me that, you know, that listening to a, the podcast got them through a, a tough time in their life. I mean, I don't even know how to respond to those. I'm always so moved uh, that that I could even be a, a tiny part of of helping them through something tough. And I know in my own life, uh, podcasts have helped me deal with stress, helped me deal with anxiety, helped me get my mind off tough things that I might have been dealing with at that moment. The idea that I could be that or my show could be that for somebody else out there, that is the most incredible thing. So when um, people start to start out in podcasting, one thing that I always feel is is a good way to look at building an audience is to maybe not see it as a one-way conversation, but to see it as, as building a, a community. And it sounds like that's something you've experienced where you have a genuine dialogue with the people who, who are listening. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I'm not as good at it as some. Like, I'm not as... Uh, active on social media as as other podcasters out there but i try to always uh, anytime anyone messages me directly i always try to engage back with them directly because i know in my own life whenever i've reached out to someone that i thought was interesting or cool if they got back to me it just meant everything so on that one-to-one level i really try to be um good to those that reach out to me. Uh, it's getting harder now because I'm getting more messages, which I mean, this is a good problem to have, right? <laughs> like, you know, people want to talk to me. That's amazing. Um, but with that said, if, if people out there are listening and they're thinking about starting their own show, 100% have a, a, a footprint in the world of social media. And I would also say at the beginning, uh, start getting involved in all the online communities associated with whatever genre of podcast you're in. I know there's all sorts of Facebook groups. There's one called Podcasts that we listen to that's just about podcasts in general. And there's a really lovely, positive, supportive, nice community there that is all about recommending each other's podcasts and helping new podcasters. Uh, And then there's a bunch of history podcasting specific Uh, Facebook groups, and um, there's also like Reddit threads out there. And so when I was first starting, I was engaging a lot more um, in those groups, being aware of the communities that are already out there supporting the type of work that you want to do, I think is extremely important. And and that was going to be my my, my last question, really, was what kind of advice would you give to somebody about to start? What are the nuggets of, of, uh, of truth can you can you impart on people? <laughs> uh, my nuggets of truth. <laughs> um, okay, let's let's drop some nuggets. Uh, well, okay, here's what worked for me. First, listen to a bunch of shows. Listen to a lot of podcasts. Listen to a lot of different types of podcasts. Not only just the genre that you're interested in or the topic that you're interested in. Uh, get a sense of what is being put out there and what the possibilities are for the audio medium. So just absorb all of that. Next, think specifically about your genre. So if you're doing like, 
You know, it's two people across a table and we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Listen to as many of those two people across a table talking about Dungeons and Dragons podcasts as you can and figure out what isn't being done in that genre yet. Like what are those podcasts not doing? What is what is something that could happen in that niche uh, that hasn't happened yet? Then put a bunch of them in the can. Do a bunch of practices before you actually start putting them out into the world. So create some primer shows, some dummy shows. Uh, sit down and try and work out the the dynamics of being on mic. Um, and once you start feeling confident about them and you start think that they're, they're sounding good, then start releasing them into the world and, uh, and then do your best to keep up with whatever schedule you set for yourself. That was great. It's, it's really, really uh, some really good advice there. Some definite truth nuggets. Some good ones. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's I like that. <laughs> truth nuggets, word of the day. So, um, yeah, um, thanks so much for, for sharing your story and telling us about kind of the uh yeah the, the level of uh commitment it took and and passion to see through some ups and downs of the show and, and how it's kind of seen you through and how the audience has seen you through those times is is really fascinating to hear mm. thanks yeah no it's it's been my pleasure and uh i can get talking <laughs> as you can tell so i think it's, that's fine i think it's, <laughs> i think it's good that i have a podcast because i can just sort of like blah get it out so i don't like completely abuse my family and friends with my my uh my jibber jabber <laughs> no, it's good jibber jabber so so don't worry it's fine well you know I, I like to think there's some truth nuggets in there exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for your time cheers thanks reese visit podstarter.io to find out how we can help you build the podcast you and your audience needs to listen to more episodes search podstarter wherever you find your podcasts or visit our website You can also find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Podstarter is produced in Nova Scotia, Canada by podstarter.io.